The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome, everyone, to the Writer's Block Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. I am your host, Brandon Laurie, and alongside me, I do have the great David Howman, the great Chris Halling, and the fantastic, great Brandon Clements. I have to give a little bit more of a shout-out to Brandon because, of course, we all know that Brandon Aubrey uh, broke the record for most consecutive kicks to start an NFL career. So shout-out to all the Brandons in the world. Nothing against you guys. Just got to give a little bit of love to the namesake, as we always do on here. Uh, But... To be a little bit on the downside, the Cowboys do lose a heartbreaker in Philadelphia to the Eagles by a score of 28-23. Elite performances by Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Aubrey could not overcome. Uh, What were some miscues? There was sort of a – it was a game of inches, honestly, throughout the rest of the game. Um, A few things that just didn't come the Cowboys' way. But that's okay. Before we start discussing a lot of the bad, we want to go around and kind of talk about our biggest positive takeaway – from the game. So Chris, I'll start with you. What was your best positive takeaway that you got from that game against the Eagles? Dak Prescott looked like the real deal. He looked like a baller the whole game. I mean, he was sacked five times for those came um, from the uh, right side under Terrence Steele, but you know, he looked incredible. He went 29 of 44 for 374 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, he was really extending drives for the Cowboys and, um, his ability to roll out of the pocket and kind of extend plays really kept those drives going and was able to put points up on the board. I mean, I know they only finished with 23, but, you know, they honestly didn't have the ball nearly as much as the Eagles did. The Eagles were able to kind of have long, sustained drives thanks to the refs. But, you know, like that's another argument for another time. But, um, but um, yeah, no, Dak looks incredible. And it was really like, like I was critical of him for his uh, performance against the 49ers because I felt like uh, because I felt like it was the usual story of everything kind of crumbling around him and he couldn't like he couldn't elevate the team around him but in this specific game like things weren't necessarily going his his way and he was still able to rise above it and really be like the main guy on the Cowboys offense so so um my one takeaway is that Dak Prescott looked really really good Howman what about you uh, in a similar vein, I think I was just impressed with the whole offense. Um, I, I mean, the run game still has some kinks to work out, but I mean, there were a few plays where Tony Pollard really, you know, started to look like the Tony Pollard of old. Um, Dak Prescott was obviously on fire. CeeDee Lamb was great. Jalen Tolbert, by the way, like what a game for him. First career touchdown. He, he's been getting more snaps and he's been uh, playing pretty reliably well. So um, I, I think after the Rams game, like, there was so many encouraging things we saw from the offense, both from the scheme and the way that Mike Mike McCarthy was calling things 
and also to how the players performed. And a lot of that continued in this game. Obviously, it was not perfect. There were some issues with you know being able to score and a couple of failed fourth downs. But overall, it was a very positive performance from the offense. And having those two positive performances in a row gave me some hope. And you know, you lost to a really tough Eagles team that's won a lot of games this year, best record in the NFL. I mean, you want to win, but also there's no shame in losing to a team like this and playing the way they did. Yeah, before I go to you, Brandon, uh, I want to say really quick to piggyback off of that. I, I'll say the red zone efficiency. We've seen each and every week for the past three weeks. It's gone. It's gotten a lot better. They had 50% against the Chargers, 50% against the Rams, and then 60% against the Eagles. I think that's really good. It's in a positive direction. We've seen after the bye, like you mentioned, Howman, the offense has gotten better. They're finding the rhythm. And yeah, the run game could be a little bit better. Yeah, Brandon Cooks could be involved a little bit more. But I think over time, you're seeing just the development of this offense. Where they were against the 49ers, it is a completely different team in how they're running things. And I think that we're seeing that Mike McCarthy is trusting Dak to make better throws, to kind of be the leader that they need. And you could see when the ball is in his hands and he's kind of taking the shoulder, uh, to putting the team on his back, um, he's really performed well. And I think he's lived up to everything that we expected him to be this year. He might not hit 5,000 yards, B1, uh, but he's certainly looking like that quarterback you expected at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah, I mean, that 374-yard passing game was fantastic against this uh, this Philadelphia Eagles defense. I mean, those these, these this type of game was what I expected from him the majority of the season because I obviously I put up those 5,000 passing yard, 40 t, you know, uh, TD kind of uh, numbers, which, hey, you know what? I'm very confident in Dak. So, you know, I know I know our, our boy here, Holling, was not too uh, – uh, too much of a Dak guy for most of the season. I know he's been pretty, pretty uh, vocal about that, which I'm glad that was his choice for this week's, uh, this week's game as a positive because this was Dak Prescott in a nutshell right here. This is the guy that I've been expecting all season, and it was you know 29 of 44, 374 yards, three touchdowns, but most importantly, zero interceptions. There wasn't a ball, at least from what I could see, and I was watching every single play, that made me feel nervous about Dak Prescott, and, like throwing it in, into bad coverage. There was like there was one where like I believe it was the Jake Ferguson, but he put that ball so perfectly, like like Jake almost came down with it towards the end of that game. So that maybe that was one dangerous throw, but like he put it in such a great spot that Jake Ferguson had a good shot at, at catching it. Now I do want to say though, you know speaking of him, he was one of my choices as, you know, as somebody that I think would be my positive player because it was the, the Jake Ferguson game for me. It was the, this, the, I call him the safety blanket of, uh, of Dak Prescott this, this past week, but I can't say enough about CD lamb, 11 catches, 191 yards. He caught 51% of the, you know, for passing yardage purposes, 51% of, of Dak's yardage, came off of cd lamb cd lamb tore it up and i know howling led to the point about the you know the the referees and and whatnot there were some there there was a few few interesting calls i'll say where i can just tell you this big big play slay was not going to slow down cd lamb without having a few uh ticky tack things that might should have been called i felt like cd lamb is the he's he's the real freaking deal i think we all know that he's the he he is the unquestioned number one receiver so for me the positive was you know obviously Dak prescott but howling stole my thunder on that one i was kind of surprised by that because he's been the critic of, of Dak this year but cd lamb is a very good choice so cd lamb you know, heck of a game and you know what it was a tough a tough loss as a whole 
But this passing game is starting to look the way it should look, and I'm I'm very I'm I'm looking forward to this uh, tasty matchup coming up this weekend. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that, because that is certainly actually insane, and we'll we'll touch on that at the end. Uh, but you bring up the box score for a lot of the players. That was the biggest concern I think for a lot of people is why did Dallas lose when Dak Prescott outplayed Jalen Hurts? Tony Pollard was better than DeAndre Swift. Ceedee Lamb was better than AJ Brown. It's just, I think, the ball, as I mentioned at the top, didn't bounce in the Cowboys' favor like it did when you look last year against Philadelphia at home uh, to kind of close out the year in, um, you know, I think it was Christmas Eve. There were a few plays where the Eagles fumbled the ball on a, a handoff or something in exchange, and, like, it just was going in the Cowboys' favor. This time around, it just didn't happen. So, to me, I think that's where things were sort of break down, but that's what we're going to get into tonight. We're going to talk about uh, sort of how can we – we fix the Cowboys. What's one glaring need that I do believe that the Cowboys are very close. We mentioned the improvement on offense. Special teams continues to be very, very good. Um, we mentioned with Brandon Aubrey breaking the record, uh, but there are some areas that we do feel that if the Cowboys just got better in this area, they would be in that top echelon that Jerry Jones alluded to um, earlier in the week that, that we know the Cowboys could be in. So we're going to call it uh, fix it. Felix. I recently watched uh wreck it Ralph and this was sort of the inspiration for it. Do not judge big Disney guy. That's nor here, no there. Uh, but we're going to present, like I said, the biggest concern that we have for the Cowboys, what the problem is, what the solution <laughs> will be. And then we'll talk about it as well. Uh, so Howman, I'll start with you. What's the first problem uh, that you would like to talk about? Well, I think, uh, Really, what they need is just to get a little bit more lucky with some of the breaks they caught in this game. Maybe get some uh, four-leaf clovers, or uh, if you're the superstitious type, uh, induct Jimmy Johnson into the Ring of Honor. Just get that done already. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, if we're if we're looking for something you know tangible to to really point to, it's for me, it's got to be the slot corner position. And and I mean, Jordan Lewis. Like, I just want to first off clarify, love Jordan Lewis, been a big fan of his, and you know, I was one of the people banging the table for him to to get more playing time back when Chris Richard was there and was like kind of maybe you're most definitely overlooking him because he's short. Um, but he, he's played well his whole career. He's been a very, very reliable slot corner. And I think important context is needed. The fact that, I mean, we're just now over a year from when he suffered that injury that knocked him out for the year. Mike McCarthy later said it was actually potentially career threatening. So that's a pretty big deal to be coming back from. But also, you know, when you watch him play, it's it's been very clear that he's not the same player that he used to be so far. Maybe it's maybe it's just a matter of getting back into football shape, or maybe this is you know what he is at this point. You know, late in his career, I don't know. But the Eagles very clearly knew who they wanted to target. They they threw at him four times, three completions, all of them went for a first down. It, was, it felt like, especially early in the game, when they needed to get a first down, they said, "Where's Jordan Lewis? We're going to throw at him." And that's been kind of a trend the last few weeks, too. Um, Stefan Gilmore has been playing pretty well. Deron Bland, for the most part, has been playing really well. He, he didn't have his best game against the Eagles, but he's still shown that he's a reliable corner. But I think Jordan Lewis has been the biggest weak link on this defense. And, and granted, the defense has generally played really well all year. So you're in good shape when, when that's really your one problem. Um, but I, I think, like... That's that's why a lot of people wanted a, a move for a corner at the trade deadline. You also have Israel McQuamu, who hasn't really played much, but he showed he can be a, a reliable slot option. Um, you have some guys who can play outside and then move to Ron Bland back inside of the slot. So um, they have some options if things don't start improving with Lewis. 
And, you know, in a, in a game where you give up 28 points in the first three quarters, and granted the defense made some stops in the fourth quarter, but they also kind of dug a hole earlier in the game, um, you know, fixing that issue with the slot and, and figuring that out, whether it's stick with Lewis or, or go with someone else, I, I think that's the first place to look. When we were talking in the pre-show, you and I agreed that this was the area that we wanted to talk about. Um, so we're going to double team this, uh, you know, no, no pun intended there. Um, but I brought up a lot of like Lewis's PFF numbers again. PFF doesn't really define the whole story, but could sort of can paint a picture and give you an idea where the player is at. Overall, his grade this year is at a 48.4, which is 166th among all cornerbacks and 111th for cornerbacks who played at least 20% of the snaps. Um, and that's just overall coverage. It's not sort of specific outside, inside. It's just overall. Um, and But from the slot, he's given up a passer rating of 138.3, which is the second highest among corners um, playing 20% of the snaps. So these aren't guys who are just kind of coming in as rotational guys that might be filling in for somebody when they're hurt. Maybe it's just for a few quarters. Now, this is a, a decent amount. It's a good sample size. Um, he's allowed three touchdowns, which is tied for first um, from the slot position with six other cornerbacks. Um, and then his coverage grade in man coverage is uh, about a 62.1. So that's around average. But then when you get to zone coverage, it's a 39.3, the third lowest among cornerbacks, and has given up a passer rating of 155.8, which is the second lowest. So to me, what you were talking about, Howman, is this coming back from an injury. And I love the player. Like I prefaced it the same way that you did, where Lewis has been among the better cornerbacks that Dallas has had for the, for the time that he's been here. Um, I thought he wasn't getting enough playing time early on in his career just because of the stigma with his size. But when you look at him coming back from this injury, the reason why I think he's struggling in zone coverage is because that's where it's not about you sticking with the guy that you're covering. That means playing in space. That means you have to play catch up. And we've seen Stephon Gilmore struggle in that area a little bit too, because he's a little bit older. He's not the same player that he was. So when it comes to playing in space, that's where, you know, uh, you had the play where da Dallas Goddard was going to the sideline. Like he was trying to catch up to Dallas Goddard. Uh, there was a play with AJ Brown going over the middle of the field. It's just a lot of those plays where he's just trying to play catch up. And I do feel like that maybe he's still trying to find his feet, his footing um, based off of the injury. But when you look at him compared to a lot of Cowboys players on the team, he is in, at the bottom of almost every category. And again, it's not saying anything against the player. It's just that's what it is for right now. So maybe you do give more options to Izzy McQuamu in the slot. But again, he hasn't really been available uh, all season because he's been um, on the inactives list. But outside, like you mentioned, moving Deron Bland into the slot, who's going to fill in on the outside? Is it Igbenogany? Is it Nashawn Wright? Really guys that you don't feel a whole lot confident in. Uh, so Brandon, uh, B1 for you, I'll throw it to you before we get to your point. The slot corner position, is that something of concern for you? Or is that something where you hope that further down the line, Lewis will get a little bit more reps, you know, kind of get a little bit more confidence maybe against a team like the Giants, the Panthers, the Commanders that are coming up and maybe can carry that for the rest of the season. Yeah, Jordan, I mean, Jordan Lewis, I've been high on him since he came into the league. I, I remember when he was drafted out of Michigan. He was one of those guys where, you know, he was a third-round pick. You know, I, I I thought we stole him in the third round. I thought he was I thought he was a, a late first, early second-round pick at that point because that's I watched a lot of Big Ten games and, and, and watched him play, and he, he had a lot of, you know, he – 
He played. He was on. He showed up on tape a lot. So I was pretty high on him, anyways. And you know, I know the size. You know, I know he's. You know, he's not the biggest guy. He's like. You know, they list him at like five ten, but he's probably like five eight, five nine. You know, you take. You know, take the cleats off. He's not a very big guy. He's probably my height at five eight, but. To me, like, yes, he had that injury where, you know, it was career-threatening. We, we were, you know, there was points where we didn't know if we were going to see Jordan Lewis, not only in a Cowboys uniform, but in a uniform as a whole. So it was a serious injury where I feel like where he plays on the field, I feel like has still affected him in a way. But I do I do feel like he has shown flashes of the Jordan Lewis that I that I really liked coming out of Michigan, you know, and, and, you know, for the first few years of when he actually got to play some ball here with the Cowboys. So I'm not as concerned about it. I feel like this New York Giants game that's coming up here, I feel like that's going to be one of those games where, you know, he can get that uh, mo- that mojo going uh, and, and really get back in a groove and get ready for the stretch run. Now I will throw another interesting name out that we haven't. No one's talking about him. Everybody, well, he was the talk of camp and then everything like that uh, with Eric Scott Jr. Maybe we give that guy a shot, you know, especially against the Giants coming up. You mentioned, you know, you know that, that this could be the, you know, a game where he could get some tune, you know, get tuned up for, you know, Jordan Lewis on that side of it. But Eric Scott Jr., this would be a perfect game for him to get some live bullets and live reps here and let him let, – let's see what he can do as well. So, I mean, I'd be surprised if they didn't have, you know, have, have a guy like him or maybe even Deshaun Wright, you know, play a little bit. So it, it is one of those things where I, I am curious to see how, you know, how that's going to play out. But the New York Giants are a tasty matchup, I feel like, with everything going on with Daniel Jones and the unfortunate injury for him uh, that's ending his season with the ACL. So I do think this is the kind of game that would not only help Jordan Lewis, but I feel like it would give a guy like Eric Scott some some much-needed live reps to maybe use him down the stretch maybe in December, you know, towards the end of the season. Chris, we've seen Deron Blaine have success on the outside and on the inside. Do you think that that's like a good option? Like maybe you do give Eric Scott some reps on the outside and Deshaun Wright, somebody, maybe there's a little bit more rotation. I know we saw that last year towards the end of the year when they were trying to figure out the cornerback spot. They were rotating guys in and out. Is that something that you're kind of in favor for just to see maybe who the best three are now at this point or you still have confidence in Lewis to get it going? It's possible. I wouldn't necessarily say I have confidence in Lewis to get it going as much, but I mean, I'm okay with trying that out in this game against the Giants because it should be a game that they win regardless, in my opinion. Like, they should be able to pull that one out. But overall, like, I don't really want to mess with the flow that that um, Bland has right now. I mean, I mean, he's playing the best football of his career right now on the outside, and, like, I just don't want to mess with that. You know, he's – I mean, like, he's been really able to lock down that side of the field. And, like, I don't know, like, Jordan Lewis kind of reminds me of Terrence Steele in the sense that, like – they're both struggling right now, but like, what's like, what better option really is there realistically right now? It's almost like the Cowboys just kind of have to suck it up and hope that they get it going at some point in this season. Cause there's not a lot of depth behind them right now at the moment. So, I mean, if, you know, like in a ideal world, you know, um, uh, um, a Trayvon Diggs gets injured. I mean, he, um, doesn't get injured and then, um, you still have, um, Bland in that slot, and it looks a lot better on that Cowboys defense. And then Lewis can come in rotationally as that fourth cornerback. So I wouldn't necessarily change things around, but I mean, if we were to do it, I think that this would be the week to do it. I just want to toot my own horn real quick because last week when we were talking about, you know, players to target at the trade deadline, the two I picked was an outside corner to move Bland inside and a backup tackle in Kelvin Beecham, a, a, a solid vet. And here we are a week later talking about, you know, issues at corner, issues at tackle, and, and saying, oh, well, you know, we don't have a whole lot of other options. And 
I'm just saying, Jerry Jones, give me a call. Let's talk. Well, we also learned that from training camp, you have this sort of mystical power this year calling uh, things to happen before they actually happen with uh, the Eric Scott interception of Dak Prescott, uh, which set off fire alarms everywhere in national media. So, again, maybe maybe we just don't need you on the show anymore. We'll just keep you hidden, you know, or we'll maybe block out, put a little vocalizer on your on your microphone. This way, nobody knows who you are. So we'll, we'll have to float around with a few things. But Chris mentioned Terrence Steele, B1. Does that sort of tie in what you want to talk about? 100%. That's If you guys saw my ex uh, this past weekend here during the game, I, uh, I I probably mentioned it, I don't know, four or five hundred times. It was just that it was the, the most frustrating part of the game for me is, you know, as a fan of the team. I know a lot of people blame the refs and that's, you know, that's fine. That's fair. But I'm one of those people where like, yeah, the, the calls might have been a little bit questionable at, at some times, but you know, if you're a good team, you overcome those type of things and you just you just play good football. So to me, like the referees were part of it, but they're not the whole story. So I saw like Cowboys Nation at X going crazy about it. But for me, I was going crazy about Terrence Steele. And it's not Terrence Steele, you know, as a whole player, because he is a road grader when it comes to the run blocking game. He is one of the best tackles in the game when it comes to strictly, you know, getting downhill, you know, put, paving the way like that. That We were talking about on a previous episode this year where the running game should just go through Zach Martin and Terrence Steele. That's how good he is as a run blocker. So there's no argument there. He is one of the better run blocking tackles in the game. But in pass protection, I, you know, I, I'll say this. It's just it, it sometimes it just doesn't look right with him. I feel like he's, you know, he leans forward too much sometimes. I feel like his hand placement's not really good. I was watching some film on that today just to go back and see what he was doing incorrectly. And, you know, he to me, a lot of times he leans too far forward and gets too far off balance. And I feel like. And especially against Reddick, Hassan Reddick destroyed him. Like Hassan Reddick has some of the better hands in the league. And he he just put on a show on he he put on tape what you can do against Terrence Steele and 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 win. Like his hand fighting, it was it's it's crazy. Like I I, I want to see Terrence Steele go hang out with Micah Parsons and go box because he needs to he's got to work on his hand game. And I'm just, you know, looking at the stats, I know, you know, I was looking at PFF as well. So Terrence Steele, according to PFF, allowed 12 pressures seven hurries, four sacks. Now, here's the percentage point that I got nervous about, which I saw it on tape. PFF kind of verified how bad he played on the pass protection side. 15% was his pass grade. Like, that's that pass block rate of 15%, that's not good. And then in addition to that, his, you know, the, the pressures that he gave up, no one else allowed more than three. He allowed 12. Like, that's not good football. And, and here's the other thing. Brandon Graham, who's been a rotational guy, I mean, he's getting towards the back nine of his career. I think we all can agree on that. He looked good in some clutch moments where Terrence Steele looked out of place. And the scary thing about Terrence Steele is he's played the most snaps of this whole offensive line. He's been the most consistent, you know, presence, but not the most consistent player. And the problem that I had with Terrence Steele it wasn't, it wasn't him per se. It was the lack of the coaches, you know, getting their heads out of their rear ends and maybe, you know, chipping a little bit. Like I used to, I, I quoted this before, Bill Belichick would use Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski, his, you know, his all pro tight end to chip on whether, whatever side was having a, you know, left tackle, right tackle. And even if it took him off his route for one or two seconds, 
that chip will help help you know Terrence Steele have enough time to let Dak have enough time to find his weapons. So I, I felt like it was a it was a disservice to Terrence Steele, and it really put him out there. They kind of the coaching staff to me hung him out to dry, where they should have had somebody go out there and chip just to help him out because Hassan Reddick was eating his lunch all game long. And to me, I thought that I, I thought the coaching staff really let Terrence Steele down, and I think that needs to be worked on. They need to scheme that up. I think. I think they need to give him some help sometimes. Like if, you know, you don't have to always chip, but if you see that he's having trouble, the, the easy thing to do is just put a tight end or a fullback or somebody out there just, just to give him an extra boost to help Dak get his receivers the ball. It, to me, it was, a very, it, that, that was a, it was a very poor performance from the coaching staff side of it for Terrence Steele, but also the player Terrence Steele. Love him as a road, uh, you know, road grader on the run side, but in pass pro, he's very questionable sometimes. I 100% agree with everything you. Um, I, I agree with everything you just said there, Brandon. I got to point out one stat that just is is mind blowing on the season. Nick Harris of the Dallas Cowboys pointed this out this morning. He listed the total pressures allowed by the Cowboys offensive linemen throughout the entire season. Tyler Smith has allowed only four in like. And like that makes sense. Like we've been raving about how great he is. Tyron Smith has only allowed five. The Oddish has allowed 14. Zach Martin's allowed 13, which is pretty high for Zach Martin, in my opinion, actually. Um, Chuma Adoga has allowed 11, and Terrence Steele has allowed 28, if you include the 12 he just gave up. So even if you take away that 12, he's still leading the pack with 16. And so, yeah, it's been a rough season in terms of um, pass protection for Terrence Steele, which is a reason why I wasn't a huge fan of that contract beforehand, because I knew prior to that injury, he still wasn't the best at protecting Dak Prescott, and I felt like... He was a great run blocker, but I felt like that was a lot of money to give someone who just specializes in run blocking. So I'm hoping that he can get things together because I don't necessarily see a real answer in terms of kind of fixing it, especially when you've invested that much money. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Before the Cowboys played the Eagles, I remember last year when Cooper Rush was taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, at that point last year, I think it was week six I'm looking at, uh, he had a great game against Philadelphia. I mean, I remember him being a really solid right tackle. I remember them showing highlights of him taking on Fletcher Cox and then a linebacker, like just taking on double teams. Zeke, I think that's when he scored his touchdown. I mean, it was he was really great in that game. And I'm looking at his PFF grade. He had a 67.8 overall grade, 82.8 in run blocking. But then when you fast forward to this year, 
against Philadelphia. I mean, we already kind of talked about 62 in run blocking, 15 in pass blocking. I, I, I do think you're seeing the effect of we talked about with Jordan Lewis and we're talking about it with Terrence Steele. These guys that come back from injury, I do believe that you, there is time that needs to be taken for them to get back to 100%. And like we said, we're not taking that away from the players. I mean, the fact he was able to get healthy, get back on the field for week one, that's awesome. Like, testament to him and everything. I put on Twitter, to me, this is not as much about a Terrence Steele issue as it is about developing the guys behind him. You know, the Matt Willetskos of the world, the Josh Balls that we talked about. And I know they were dealing with injuries, Josh Ball specifically on season-ending IR. Matt Willetsko, I believe, he's still, you know, looking to get back at some point. Um, but these are guys that the Cowboys spent decent amount of draft capital on and they just really haven't hit the ground running there are flashes at times but Josh Ball's in at guard Matt Willetsko has only really seen preseason snaps um, and these are guys that you know last year the Cowboys had to go out and get Jason Peters because they didn't have any confidence in these guys so it remains to be seen what the future holds for Terrence Steele um, the Cowboys gave him the contract so he is going to be here and Mike McCarthy talked about it today where he knows that he's still working his way back from injury and everything, and we get that. But as as you mentioned, B1, you know, there are ways to help him. There are ways to to make sure that he's not a liability against somebody like a Hassan Reddick. And, you know, the Eagles, they lead the NFL in pressures. I think it's something like 95. So, I mean, this was a very dominant defensive front, defensive line. They should have known that going into it. Um, and especially with the way that Dak played, I mean, he made sure that there wasn't maybe seven or eight sacks that happened uh, on Sunday. So, for you, Howman, is there a way to fix Terrence Steele right now? Or is it just more of, again, like Lewis, getting more reps? Maybe you can't really... Again, you can't find somebody. Trade deadline's gone. You're not going to be able to poach somebody off of uh, a practice squad, and the Cowboys don't really have much depth behind them. So is this really what they have right now to kind of work with? Yeah, I, I really think that that's, that's probably what Steele is right now, and, and that's, that's where he's going to be. And, I mean, part of it, too, like you mentioned, I mean, the Eagles are a really great pass rush. Like, yeah, it was a terrible game for Steele, but also he got beat by some dudes. Yeah, like it's not like it was just nobody out there rushing against him. So that I think that does kind of you know make it look a little bit worse than it actually is. But you know, I mean, you you ran we ran down the number of like pressures allowed and everything. The reality though is though like Steele has struggled with pass pro throughout his career thus far. He's he's been great in the run game. Pass pro has been his weakness. I mean, his first two years on the team, both years he led the team in pressures allowed. Last year he was kind of going back and forth with Tyler Smith. Um, and, and then, of course, he didn't finish the last few games of the year with the injury. Um, and, and right now he's he's right up there again. So this is this has been his, his biggest weak point, and I think that was kind of one of the reasons why in, in the offseason it was kind of floated that they might consider trying him out at guard back before they kind of figured out Tyron Smith was going to play left tackle, Tyler Smith playing left guard. Um, I don't know where that gets you now at this point, and there wasn't really much time with his rehab schedule to actually see how he looked at guard. But it does it did kind of make sense as far as not wanting to expose him on the edge too often because that is kind of where, against the speed rushers like Reddick, he kind of gets in trouble. Um, I, I do kind of want to push back on the chipping thing, though, because, like, it, it, it helps, but also at the same time, like, you know, from, from the, the coach's perspective, and one of the reasons why some coaches don't like to chip as much is because that, that either takes away another receiving option or at the very least it delays another receiving option getting out there. You know, whether you're keeping a tight end in the block permanently or just having them chip and go. And against a team like the Eagles who have great pass rushers all up and down the defensive line, they like to blitz in, in the, the right opportunity, and they had a few really well-timed blitz calls in this game. 
um, you you kind of want to have as many receiving options out there as you want. That's also just a general principle of the West Coast offenses. The, the West Coast doesn't really uh, do a whole lot of chipping. Most of the time, if they're going to help out their offensive line, it comes with the play action to kind of, you know, get those defensive linemen to commit to the run fake. Um, but with the Cowboys in the situation they were, where they're kind of playing from behind, trying to trying to go in the second half and get the lead back, you're not going to really be doing a whole lot of play action. It's more of a shotgun, just straight drop back to pass. And so, like, I, I get the call for, for having more chipping, and they probably should have done it at least to some extent. But especially late in the game when you're right there inside the red zone, you want to have five eligible pass catchers out there. You want to have them going off the line to space the defense out and try to get a, a touchdown. I just want to say something um, um, real quick. Um, just to kind of get off all the negativity when it comes to the offensive line, I just want to throw a shout-out real quick to Tyler Smith because I thought he played really, really well against Jalen Carter. I know that he had that costly um, fall start at the end there, but at the end of the day, he still – he had he – had, um, he had 24 matchups against Jalen Carter and allowed just two pressures, and 13 of those were one-on-one matchups. And in those one-on-one matchups, he only allowed one pressure from Jalen Carter. And so, like, this is a guy who just last season was playing left tackle, and he's made that transition to left guard. He's playing phenomenal. He's actually leading the league right now in, in the lowest uh, pressure rate this season among left guards. And it's just so insane to think about the potential that he has because – he was born in 2001. He was younger than me. And, like, I'm always made fun of in the block in the boys' room for um, for um, uh, being the young guy and, you know, like, you know, like really being the young one. And Tyler Smith is younger than me, and he's out there just just handling these grown men. So it's just, you know, like, it's absolutely crazy to think about. And, like, that's a guy who I'm really excited to see grow and just get better and better throughout his career in Dallas. Hey, Chris, I, I, I'm the one that calls you the puppy all the time. So I'll, 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 I'll take ownership of that when I do call you the, the, the puppy because – I, I, re- I remember a lot of the things in the 90s and early 2000s that you weren't even around for. So it's, you know, I do have to point that out. I just really quick, I know we're, I know we're trying to keep things a little tight. So, you know, going back to Hellman's point with the shipping, I understand that. But for me, if, if you see a guy struggling, I think it's okay to, you know, like with Jake Ferguson, for example, have him even stay in for a second and they can do a delayed action where he goes, he goes on to a route anyways. So they could do that as a delayed action. I've seen them, I've seen teams do it in the goal line where like you'll see a guy who's like blocking for a second and like when the defense kind of sleeps on him because they think he's a blocker he sneaks out and they, they throw it to him and they, he makes a big play and they to the other point too you have three really good receivers i know a lot of people are not happy with michael gallup so i'm surprised no one brought michael gallup up in this conversation so far but you have three really quality receivers uh you know michael gallup you know and then cd lamb and brandon cooks i don't even care like if you have to have jake ferguson just chit for a second and give CD Lamb, give Brandon Cooks, give Michael Gallup just just an extra second to get you know get through the you know their their routes. I think that to me is worth the sacrifice, and, and not not maybe not do it all game because you can do the play action. You can you know there's different actions that you can do, but if you can chip you know from time to time, I do think there's some there's some plays to be had. And then Brandon Cooks, for example, is a guy that is a deep he's a deep threat. We've all seen him do that in his entire career. So a guy like that give him an extra second just to beat the corner. And to me, I think, I think you'll see bigger plays from Brandon cooks and it'll, and to me, it'll show up on the stat sheet bar. That's, that's kind of my, my kind of my, my bounce back to it. And one more note about Terrence deal before we move on is I saw this tweet earlier today from David Moore of Dallas morning news. He said, uh, it was about going back and forth with something that Bob, Bob Sturm, formerly of the athletic 
uh, talked about when it came to Terrence Steele and the pressures allowed and everything, um, talking about how he didn't really have his best performance. And David Moore said, and maybe there's a little more to it than coming back from injury, talking about how great of a story it is. He said, remember in the offseason when Cowboy, the Cowboys floated the idea of getting him some work at guard? Wasn't feasible given his rehab uh, schedule, but something to keep in mind going forward. So to me, when David Moore puts something out like that, to me, that's just not nothing. So maybe there is a plan down the line, maybe next year when they draft the heir apparent for maybe a uh, Tyron Smith, maybe they get Matt Let's Go some time in. Whatever they do, the shuffling of the offensive line might change next year, and that might mean Terrence Steele moving to guard if they feel like he's a better run blocker, and then also maybe it mitigates some sort of lack of pass protection that we talked about. Uh, But again, everybody's doing great segues here because B1, you mentioned Michael Gallup, Jalen Tolbert, Brandon Cooks, the secondary receiver, secondary pass options. I feel like Chris has something to get off his chest about that too. Yeah, yeah. So my concern was uh, that CeeDee Lamb is really doing a lot of carrying in this offense. I will say, though, Jake Ferguson really showed up yesterday as well. And Jake Ferguson looked really, really good. I mean, I saw he was targeted, what, like nine times? I mean, like he's really becoming one of those premier targets for Dak Prescott. And, you know, I mean, like not to, you know, you know, like, you know, like uh, – <laughs> That's okay. You can uh, say it. Toot your own horn. To just do it. You know, yeah. I was about to say, like, not to toot my own horn, but, you know, I was really on the Jake Ferguson train. I know that Brandon uh, was as well, B1. Damn right. And I really wasn't trying to, you know, draft a tight end early because I was confident in Jake Ferguson. He looks really, really good. But if you just look at the numbers throughout this season, I mean, I mean, our leading um, receiver in receiving yards is CD Lamb with 824 yards. The next highest in receiving yards is Jake Ferguson with 328. So there's a huge drop off there. And then if you look at the um, receptions as well, I mean, CD's um, at the top as well. He has 57. And then Jake Ferguson is second at 32. So it seems like those are really Dak's two guys there. What's really concerning to me is that, you know, we're what? We're eight games through the season now. And Brandon Cooks just has 165 receiving yards. And I'm not even necessarily saying that that's Brandon Cooks' fault, but something's not aligning up with, with, with their scheme, with their chemistry with Dak Prescott. I'm not 100% sure what the issue is, but he hasn't really stepped up in terms of that production that we're used to seeing from him in the NFL. And Michael Gallup as well. Michael Gallup, you know, he, he only has 22 receptions for 243 yards, and he doesn't have a touchdown yet. And that third and three drop that he had was crucial in that game. I mean, it really could have been a four-point swing right there. You know, Cowboys had to settle for three. And I guess the only silver lining is that in that is that uh, – it is that it allowed Brandon Aubrey to be able to, you know, set the NFL record for most field goals without a miss to, to start a career with 19. But yeah, I feel like the Cowboys just, they have to get more production from people other than CD lamb. And it's a shame because that's kind of what we were saying last year as well, because it seemed to be the CD lamb show. And we thought that, you know, having Michael Gallup fully healthy again, going out and adding Brandon cooks. I think that we all expected there to be like an increase in production around the wide receiver room. And we just haven't seen that up to this point. I'd like to see Kevante Turpin get a little bit more involved as well. I think that he's developed a lot as a wide receiver and we could use that speed. And honestly, I'm at the point with Michael Gallup. I love him, but I'm kind of at the point where I'd like to see some more Jalen Tolbert action because I think that he has shown some promise and I think that him and Dak have a good chemistry. And I know I'm going to get called biased for this, I know I am, but it makes sense from what I've seen from Jalen Brooks. Jalen Brooks is a possession receiver, and he's a 50-50 ball kind of guy. Give him a few more looks out there. 
Listen, 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 listen. Give him a few more looks out there, wide receiver. I think that he can kind of replicate what we're expecting from Michael Gallup in a sense. I think he'd be a little bit more sure-handed, and I think that he could have that, you know, like impact that we're kind of missing in that wide receiver room. Not just saying that because I was former classmates with him. I'm saying it because I genuinely believe that he has that ability. He had a lot of really crazy, and he had a lot of really crazy contested catches at South Carolina that really put his name out there. So I think I want to see more from Jalen Tolbert, Kevontae Turpin, and um Jalen Brooks as we move forward hey to give you credit if he's as good of a receiver as he is as a blocker like we saw uh, against the Chargers when it was the jet sweep for Brandon Cooks maybe he deserves a little bit more uh more snaps his way on offense but when you mentioned the target share I was just looking uh as as you were talking CeeDee Lamb had 16 targets Dak threw it 44 times so 16 targets towards CeeDee Lamb 10 towards Jake Ferguson and then the next closest in third was five to Jalen Tolbert so clearly Dak was just focused in on CeeDee Lamb Jake Ferguson and rightfully so you mentioned they're two of the top uh pass catchers in this offense but for Hellman you have the McCarthy Chronicles every week. It's the most anticipated thing on Blogging the Boys that comes out each and every week, besides the stuff that Chris and I write, but we'll give you the pop for it right now. Um, is it a product of the West Coast style where it really only focuses on just a few players? And I, I know that there was the one play that Baldy uh, broke down where it was uh, Dak Prescott going for Luke Schoonmaker, where that was the, you know, touchdown, no touchdown, felt like the Dez catch controversy all over again. But it, it was highlighted that Brandon Cooks was coming across uh, with being uncovered, but there was the pressure that was coming in his face, and I didn't notice that at first, but clearly it was something where Dak just needed to get the ball out quick. But is that a case of the West Coast style where there's only two guys that are really being the focal point and everybody else can kind of get the pieces of the pie when they can? Well, first of all, I appreciate the really kind words about the McCarthy Chronicles. Um Always, always love uh, coming on here and hearing all the nice stuff y'all say about me. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as as far as the offense goes, I mean, it, it's not really um, it's not really a thing in the West Coast to like just feature you know one or two guys. But um, but also you know to a point when you have a guy like C.D. Lamb, you're gonna feed him, and I really just think that's what this is. Uh, you know, if you go back and look at the Packers under Mike McCarthy, there were some years where, you know, they have Greg Jennings and Donald Driver and they're spreading it out to those guys. And then, you know, uh, Jordy Nelson, I mean, he got a lot of targets back when he was first blowing up. Um, when Devontae Adams first started coming onto the scene, you know, they realized what they had in him. His first year, he was like, I think, second or third on the team in targets. And then they realized what they had the next year. He had, you know, he was getting fed the way CeeDee Lamb is getting fed now. So I think it's it's not necessarily like a, a trait of the West Coast. It can definitely be a spread out offense, but – also, you know, part of it is is the quicker reads, the, the faster time to throw. That's something they've really uh, emphasized this year, especially with the pass protection issues with trying to get Dak Prescott not to hold on to the ball so long. Um, and so some of that, I mean, there's some plays like the one you mentioned with that, that throw to Schoonmaker where it's essentially a one-read play, and especially in that particular situation, which Brian Baldinger kind of broke down. Um, you know, you're at the goal line and, and you're running – a rub rat on both sides and based on what they, what the Eagles showed in the pre-snap, like there's a blitz coming from the right side. There's uh, there's linebackers covering tight ends on the left side. So Dak kind of decides, you know, before the snap, Hey, I only have a chance to get through one read. I'm going to go to the side where I have a tight end with a rub rat on a linebacker. And it, it's the correct decision. And I mean, he made the, he, you know, he completed the pass and for a moment he had the touchdown and that's like, 
you know, you, you could say, oh, well, he's, he needs to turn and look at Brandon Cooks. He doesn't have time. A lot of times, you know, it's, it's either a one read. Sometimes there's plays where it's like there's maybe two reads, get the ball out or go to scramble drill. And so with McCarthy, I assume building so much of this offense around getting targets for Lamb and being in an offense where there's only one or two reads, you're going to have a lot of targets for Lamb just because you want to feed him. But I don't think it's necessarily that – I mean, there's, there's, there's been plays where they've schemed stuff up for Michael Gallup. They've schemed stuff up for uh, Brandon Cooks, and it just hasn't hit. Um, we've also seen schemed up touches for Kevontae Turpin. And, and, of course, he had the injury a couple of weeks ago. He, he got kind of banged up in this game, so I understand not using him a whole lot right now. But, you know, they, they, they're going to they're gonna have manufactured touches for these guys. But at the same time, you have a guy like CeeDee Lamb playing the way he is. you got to get him the ball. Well, and you mentioned that throw to Schoonmaker. I also thought that Dak put it in the perfect spot because you throw it a little bit more inside. You might have a pick six. You might have an interception be thrown. I thought he put it in the perfect spot. And it was just one of those situations where, again, if he was just a little bit deeper into the end zone, probably a touchdown. And it could be a case where, again, I know that there was some questioning about the NFL officiating of when he actually controls the ball, when it goes over the goal line. I don't want to get into that because mostly I don't know the absolute specifics of it. But we're also not here to try and figure out uh, you know, conspiracy theories. That's not what we do here. So uh, one other thing to note, too, when it comes to Jalen Tolbert and his snap count, um, against the Chargers, it was at around 23% on offense. Um, when it was against the Rams here, it was at 45% of the offensive snaps. And then against the Eagles, it was at 41%. So you're seeing an increase kind of after the bye that he's getting more than 40% of the snaps on offense. So I think to your point, Chris, I think he's starting to rival with Michael Gallup in those snaps. Um, I do think that if you spread out the offense the way that uh, Howman talked about, you can get four guys on the field. And I think that's great. I think that you know, you have an offense where it's CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, uh, Jalen Tolbert, um, Brandon Cooks, and then Jake Ferguson on the field all at the same time. I think that's great. It's a, it's a good problem to have. You can even sprinkle <clears throat> in a Cavante Turpin into that too. Um, but B1 for you, is that something that you want to see a little bit more of with Jalen Tolbert as well incorporated into the offense? Yeah, I would say I say yes, but I will also add there's one other player on there that you didn't mention is, is Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard was a good receiver in college at Memphis. He he's a guy that you know, and, and I will say this, you know, and I've, I feel like I you know I'm patting myself on the back on this one, but I, I've been saying for a while that Tony Pollard just isn't a he's not a number one like running back in my book. I think he's a solid like one B in a in a running back by committee situation. But you got to get him in space, and I think a guy like Tony Pollard is one of those dudes where you've got to utilize them out of the backfield as a pass catcher. And I think we have so many great weapons. You mentioned so many weapons that you forgot Tony Pollard. And he's one of the best weapons on the team. So like the Cowboys have a, they have an embarrassment of riches in the, in that department where they have some weapons. It's sometimes the, the, the tough thing is, is getting these guys all on the field. You can't put them all on the field at the same time. It's just, it's just not going to work logistically speaking. And, you know, Jalen Tolbert is a guy that, I, you know, PFF had him as one of the highest ranked uh, players on the offense this week. So he's, you know, he, he's obviously, he's shown some stuff. I didn't like the play where, you know, where he, he got the ball in the crucial situation. Like it was, it was a tough play. So I'm not going to get mad at him for it. I kind of would have forced it to, to CD lamb if I had to force it anywhere, but you know, that's, that's just me kind of nitpicking it a little bit, but Jalen Tolbert to me, I, I feel like he's earned some more playing time over Michael Gallup. I think Michael Gallup, he, you know, he had one crucial catch that, you know, didn't go his way where he just, it just didn't, you know, obviously just flat out dropped it. 
but he also had that really great catch at the end of the game where he just like snagged it. It was just like, I saw the replay and he just, he's like, you're not getting this ball. Like he just snagged with both hands. Like he, you know, he, he's had a very up and down, you know, season with, you know, with the boys. So I, I would like to see maybe, you know, they split things up a little bit, even maybe they give Tolbert even more touches than, than uh, more snaps than Michael Gallup at this point. Cause I just, I think Tolbert has earned it. And I feel like Tolbert's one of those guys where, he, you know, he, by the end of the year, we could be talking about him as the, as the receiver three. And that, you know, that's, that's coming a long way where some people may have had him not even on the roster this year because of how bad he played his rookie season. So Jalen Tolbert is one of those dudes where, you know, I think, I think he can develop into that receiver three at some point, but Michael Gallup could still bounce back. So it's, I, I still think the, I still think people are really hard on Michael Gallup. I still think, there's still some juice there, and he's still got the big contract. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past, I wouldn't put it past the Mike McCarthy and the and the and the offensive, you know, the offensive side, uh, you know, Schottenheimer. You know, I don't think, I don't think they're done with Gallup just yet. I think he's still going to get some run, but don't be surprised if Tolbert takes more snaps away from him. So, so to wrap it up, these aren't all problems that we think that they need to fix: slot corner, offensive line, and also the secondary pass catchers. To me, this is if you fix one of these problems, I think the Cowboys will be set. If it's sort of like if you could put a Band-Aid on one of them, then the rest you can kind of mitigate a little bit more. But I think that they have to find a way to fix either the slot corner position, uh, right tackle with Terrence Steele, and then also getting other players involved too or other players stepping up. Because to me, what separated the Cowboys from the Eagles on Sunday was that the Cowboys' top players were excellent. They got a lot of production and a lot of great moments from their top players, but it just wasn't a complete team win. To me, when it comes time to win in the playoffs, you need all 53 guys to bring it. And to me, that was just something that I think the Eagles got a little bit more from the rest of their guys, but that doesn't mean that the Cowboys can't get it out of the rest of their guys. They have it in them. They said that they're close. They said that they're okay. To me, I feel a lot better after this loss compared to I did when the 49ers just absolutely railroaded them. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll touch on the, the Giants game. But, Brandon, you have one more point to bring up? Yeah, you mentioned our best players playing really well. I just got to give credit to ESPN's Todd Archer. He uh, he put out a he put out a tweet where uh, he mentioned that Ceedee Lamb with uh, with back to back 150 yard games, first time a Cowboys done uh, has done that since Miles Austin way back in 2009 when Chris was a baby. A New Jersey, uh, you know, university alma mater in Monmouth University, um, and we're going to transition to another New Jersey guy in Tommy DeVito as potentially the starting quarterback for the I New York Giants. Yeah, this this weekend, uh, an Illinois former Illinois quarterback. Um, I actually worked with the quarterback coach um, that he uh, that he trained with in the off season. So um, you know, he he has potential, but. As you mentioned, B1, the the Cowboys are going to be facing a New York Giants team that will be without uh, Daniel Jones as he suffered a season-ending torn ACL. Um, so we'll go around just one expectation from the game for what we want to see from the Cowboys. Chris, I'll start with you. What's one thing that you want to see from the Cowboys as they host now the New York Giants, um, trying to extend that 11-game home winning streak to 12 this weekend? Um, I would just like to keep the trend of dominating at home going honestly like their their point differential when playing at home is insane this year i don't have the exact number off the top of my head right now but i know it's it's just an outrageous number and um yeah yeah no i mean like i know it'll be hard to top that 40 to nothing when they had week one but who knows maybe they can i expect micah parsons to have a lot of pressure in the backfield i think that he kind of has like a defensive player of the year stat wise performance and um yeah um i i would like to see like a like a 30 something to 
to nothing win. I'd like a statement by the defense. I don't want them to play down to their competition. You know, it's a game that you should just handle and, you know, just, you know, just like, I think that you handle it and you just get back to business. So yeah, I want a complete game from the offense and the defense. I want to see some wide receivers get involved. I want to see a bigger game from Brandon cooks. I want him to kind of have his showing out party, which hopefully can build momentum throughout the rest of the season. So yeah, I just want a complete game offense and defense. And I want it to be a blowout. Howman, uh, this smells like Houston Texans 2022 with uh, Jeff Driscoll and Davis Mills. How do the Cowboys prevent that from happening again? Well, first of all, we got to go back in time like 10 seconds and, and stop you from speaking that into existence. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, hey, listen, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Stranger things have happened. If, if it does start going down like that game, I'm, I'm going to – I'm going to find out where you live. I'm going to come get you because, <laughs> wow. Um, no, I mean, it's like you, you just – you can't play with your food. And, I mean, the, the Cowboys, for the most part this year, when they've played teams that they're, like, considerably better than, they have taken care of business. Of course, there was the Cardinals game. There were some other factors at play there with – and it's it's a it's a very unique stadium to play in in terms of the field service. Um we're down three starters on the offensive line. You know, we can talk about all these things, you know, you know, bottom line, they lost that game and they should have won, but like they dominated the giants when they had Daniel Jones, you know, coming in week one, when they were still pretty much fully healthy. I mean, they did, they had a couple of the guys that were a little nicked up, but that was like a, a giants team that spent all off season trying to say, we believe in Daniel Jones. We gave him this contract. We're building around him. They went out and got a bunch of receivers, got Darren Waller, and week one at home, and they get embarrassed 40 to nothing. And now it's in Dallas, where the Cowboys have been really great, especially this year, but in general, under Mike McCarthy, they've defended their home turf. And I, I want I want like 40 to nothing. I want to do better than that at this point, because with, with the injuries they have, with the quarterback situation the way it is, with this team at this point kind of the Giants kind of admitting that they're not going to be competitive this year and they need to, they need to start kind of evaluating their younger players. Like the Cowboys, I feel like 40 to nothing would be best case scenario for the giants. So I, I want to see that level of beating in this game. Uh, B1, you mentioned, I completely forgot about DeVito uh, going to Syracuse uh, to start. Maybe that's because his career was so forget forgettable uh, up in Syracuse. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but are you conflicted? <laughs> Do you want to see a Tommy DeVito uh, show out game against America's team, you know, in a, in a primetime spot sort of, um, you know, against the Cowboys? But, you know, ultimately, I know your heart lies with the heart of Texas. Oh, of course, it's, you know, it's God bless Texas is the song they, you know, they sang down in Texas. Uh, so, no, it's, it's yeah, good point. Uh, Tommy DeVito had a great, a great four years at the uh, the great Syracuse University uh, here in central New York. And, and to be honest with you, you guys can go back to my tweets in the last, you know, five years or so. I was banging on the drum for Tommy DeVito to be the starter for years and years. I've always been very high on Tommy DeVito, you know, and, and he's to me have always thought he was going to be an NFL quarterback. So to see him in, you know, in the NFL and now as a starter because of injury, I'm very happy about that. Like I'm, you know, I'm rooting for him. You know, he left, you know, he, he went to Illinois for his final season. That's fine. He had a good, you know, he, you know, he had to, he had to go do, do other things. It was just one of those things where it was a party of the seas, but you know, I've always been a fan of Tommy DeVito and, Yes, it's tough because it's my, you know, Tommy DeVito was my guy for, for many, you know, for the last, you know, last five years, 
you know, in college prior to the NFL. So it's, it, you know, I root for him. He had a decent, you know, I know he had two picks this past week against the Raiders, but he still, he completed 75% of his passes. So he has all the tools, but I'm, you know, the Cowboys are going to destroy him. I mean, it's just, you know, that's just, you know, I, you know, you know, sorry, sorry, Tommy, you know, you're, you know, you, you thank you for your service to the Q's, but you're getting demolished. Micah Parsons is going to feast on you. That offensive line is going to, you know, he, you're going to, you're going to wish you were playing back with Dino Babers in Syracuse after uh, this, this coming weekend. It's just one of those things, you know, nothing personal. It's just business, baby. Cowboys, you know, I don't think it's going to be a 40, nothing thing. I think it's going to be like a, you know, I, I think they could go for a 50 burger and shut them out. I think that's just, you know, the Cowboys are going to, you know, they're going to take care of some business this weekend. And, you know, my takeaway is, and what I want to see is I want to see Deron Bland do another pick six. That's just where I'm at, you know, with, with the, with how things have gone, you know, with Deron Bland and how great of a career he's had, you know, the, the pick sixes, it would make, it just, it just makes too much sense for Deron to get a pick six, you know, and, and maybe, you know, put the, the 50 burger together on, you know, the last play the last, last part of the game, a pick six from, from him. So that's kind of where I'm at. So, you know, uh, you know when, when Tommy doesn't play the Cowboys, Tommy DeVito, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be rooting for him to do well. I'll never root for the Giants to do well. I'll root for him to do well uh, individually, but not this week. Cowboys are de- going to demolish that team. That's just how it goes. Well, and we're even talking about like a Giants team that's not only missing Daniel Jones, but Darren Waller's on IR, Tyrod Taylor's on IR. I mean, this is a team that unfortunately, like, are is just snake bitten by injuries this year. Uh, you do feel bad for him because you always want a fan base to have at least a competitive season. So, uh, you know, shout out to Daniel Jones. Hopefully he gets back uh, to be healthy. But I'll throw out, you know what, Kristen mentioned it. Let's go with the Jalen Brooks touchdown. Why not? You know, let's throw that out there. And if anybody's going to get a pick six, we've talked about, you know, Jordan Lewis a bunch. Let's let's give him a pick six as well, too. Uh, maybe not to Ron Bland, but let's give some love to Jordan Lewis because I know we talked about him a lot today. I just got to say, too, I know that, you know, like there was some chuckling going on when I was giving Jalen Brooks some love. And I got to say, Jalen Brooks kind of reminds me of the Noah Brown arc that he had. Yeah. He kind of came in and he was a, you know, like he was a late draft pick. You know, like he kind of solidified himself as a good blocker, a special teams player. But then when he had his moment, you know, he came down with some big catches. He showed he was a possession guy. So I could see Jalen Brooks having something similar to that. And, you know, I know that Noah Brown's final season in Dallas, you know, had some ups and downs, but he just had a tremendous game for the Houston Texans. So I don't know if Jalen Brooks – I really don't think him having a career kind of like Noah Brown isn't too far-fetched. I'm just going to say, speaking of former Cowboys having a big game last week, my guy, Simi Fihoko, got in the game, gets a nine-yard touchdown catch and a big win for the Chargers. So I'm just saying. And we'll do you one better. Uh, if you look at the top leading receivers from week nine, uh, it starts with CeeDee Lamb, but then you go down the list. It's Noah Brown. It's Amari Cooper, Dalton Schultz. I know all Cowboys fans are happy to see that. Uh, so when we're talking about secondary pass catchers. So you can follow all of us on Twitter, on X. Check out all the work that we do on bloggingtheboys.com. Uh, hopefully next week is a lot better as the Cowboys take on the Giants at home, looking to extend that home win streak like we talked about. So for Chris Holling, David Hallman, and Brandon Clements, I am Brandon Laurie. Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest episode of the Writer's Block Podcast. And always remember, go Cowboys. 